Workers' Liberty has been um, hosting uh, political forums via Zoom every Sunday in this slot. And uh, this, is, this is this week's edition. Um, we're very uh, lucky to be joined tonight by Lois Wiener, who's a uh, teacher, trade unionist and socialist activist based in the United States. Um, I think the publicity for this meeting um, build the discussion as talking about um, where next for the US left. Um, I think in the light of uh, current recent events and also um, just because I think it might be interesting to talk slightly more broadly than that, um, that isn't necessarily going to be the kind of direct focus. And uh, Lois has also asked that we start just by taking some questions from uh, people in the meeting as to particular aspects and focuses that um, you might want to discuss, conscious that in, in particular people are, are likely to want to talk about and the protests that have uh, sort of exploded in the in the past week against police brutality and racism. So we're going to open up that way. The floor is open if anyone would like to suggest a, a, a focus or ask Lois a question or um, uh, ask about a particular area you're interested in hearing about. I've been following um, American presidential elections for about 30 years. I think the first one, yeah, probably about 30 years. I'd always follow the primaries. I always follow the presidential the general election and I usually muse about who I, who I would support and um, last time uh, when it was um, Hillary Clinton versus Trump I would have almost certainly have cast my vote for the Green Party or another radical third party candidate. Um, now it looks like it's going to be Biden versus um, uh, Trump which is obviously disappointing because the Sanders campaign was a real inspiration but the question I'd like to ask Lois to sort of maybe kick this area off really is to say, is there any uh, circumstances where people on the left could actually bring themselves to support uh, Biden on the basis of Biden to get rid of Trump? I'm thinking particularly if um, a, a sort of more radical um, Democrat was selected as a vice presidential candidate, if the platform was fairly radical, uh, be interested in her ideas on, on that. I'm sure, like everybody, I'm very concerned and interested in who you think or, or, or what you think might have um, sufficient influence, a voice, something clear to say, to offer some kind of, if not leadership, some, 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 some sort of clarified ideas that have a Labour movement feel to them, that have a left feel to them, to, 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 to the people who are rightly so absolutely angry and, and are protesting at the moment, to give some, I don't know, office, obviously it is very likely their own leadership are part of this. Um, any movement, any movement that's born out of this kind of anger and this kind of um, brutality, you know, needs to have clear ideas and develop clear ideas and needs to have good ideas offered to them. And I just want to think it is the left in any position to do this does it have a loud enough voice are there any sufficient infrastructures there to to, to, to help make this happen i know that's a bit kind of incoherent but um i'm a bit obsessed by sources i'm sure everyone is yeah hello i'm uh also interested in the uh george floyd protests uh, particularly uh you know about the likelihood of um the police response escalating even further or uh you know possible uh, uh you know far right uh provocateurs um uh, well setting off uh, a power keg and uh, what what the what 
the implication for the left uh, of, of an escalation uh, would be and uh, what is the likelihood of, uh, um, you know, uh, um, this not ending in, in birth violence. Okay, so first of all, I want to thank you for this invitation. I'm flattered and uh, to tell you the truth, I'm overwhelmed. So um, I want to start off by saying that the subject is so vast and events are changing so rapidly that I don't think anyone can have profound insights about what is going to happen now or what will happen. And I think people or groups who claim to, to have these insights, either implicitly or explicitly, are either self-delusional or dissembling. So um, I think that the most that we can expect of ourselves, and what I think everyone here will agree, is a world historic moment something we have not seen in our lifetimes, is to acknowledge and live with the uncertainties and to decide how to intervene as best we can, best, based on the best knowledge we can gather, analyzed with scrupulous objectivity and guided by our principles. And that's what I'm going to try to do. I want to start off by saying what those principles are. The starting point for me, always, is a commitment to thoroughgoing democracy as the sine qua non of human liberation through socialism, which is the alternative to capitalism's barbarism, and the rejection that this ideal of socialism from below and the need for democracy is impossible because no existing state or social system lives up to our ideal. I reject that. I think these concepts together comprise a restatement of the third camp, which was articulated in the rationale of the formation of the Workers' Party and subsequently the ISL in differentiating itself from the Trotskyists. So the ideal of the third camp, I think, is for me my guiding principle. So I think that uh, what I want to talk about is um, I'm going to answer the questions. I'm going to use the questions to try to make sense of what is occurring in the U.S. today in the labor movement and on the streets. And I want to briefly frame that, though, by saying that there were two black swans. There have been two black swans. The first black swan was the crisis in capitalism before the pandemic. So the pandemic is intensifying and exposing the crisis in capitalism that existed before, right? And it's very important that we use that as our starting point for understanding what's happening now, because I think that informs the question about who to support in the election and how we look at the election and what we should be demanding of the working class and of the unions and of the populace. So we have 
two black swans. We have one was the crisis of capitalism and the other is the coronavirus, right? Two, separate but related. Obviously, I can't analyze both. <laughs> um, but so what I want to talk about is I want to make, I want to combine those two by discussing the fact that the protests right now, um, I think there are a few things that make it extraordinarily important. Um, the first thing is that these are protests about police brutality directed at the black community. That's what these protests are about. While the pandemic has inflamed those conditions, the protest is about police brutality. And we should understand the police role as being enforcing the role, the rule of, the, of capitalism and the ruling class. And what is extraordinary in the coverage in this country, in the liberal media, is that that connection has been made. In my lifetime, we have never seen that connection made before by liberals. And th so this is, this is something entirely new. These protests are not a repeat of what we saw in the 60s or the 70s with riots in the cities. It is not. And it is, these protests are also different. The, the protests are also different because the resistance is multiracial. And in the 60s, the eruptions in the cities, the riots, the so-called riots, were by black people. The white student movement, the white anti-war movement was completely isolated from those protests. And that is no longer the case. And that is a remarkable, that is a remarkable change that we have to note. I want to show people this, this thing from Twitter. I want to point out, I want, I want you to look at this tweet. And I think that anybody, I see that Althea is in the, uh, my uh, colleague and comrade Althea is uh, in the room and Barry is in the room. For anybody who lived through the riots in the 60s in, in the United States in the 70s, this tweet is absolutely remarkable to see. It is a video in Atlanta of a, a police officer, it looks to me like the police officer is Asian American. That's what it looks to me. It, you can't, it's hard to tell because of, you know, all the paraphernalia, the protective gear they're wearing. But he's trashing a black woman who's just standing there yelling at him. He trashes her with, her, with his bike. He pushes his, his bike into her. And this petite white woman... We never saw this before in the United States. And one of the things that, what, what I want to point out here is that the, um, is that this is a multiracial movement, right? 
and we and Noam Chomsky said in um, his the the Democracy Now had an anti-inaugural uh, presentation uh, during Trump's inauguration, and he said we cannot underestimate the potential of the changes in this country since the '60s and the United States since the, since the '60s. This country, the United States, has changed. It is despite the persistence of this, of racism and its aggravation and its intensification, something else has intensified as well. And that is that this is a multiracial society. And young people are raised in a different country, in a different society now. The country has changed. Okay, so um, what does that mean for us? I just, I want to say what I think that means for us is... Um, as socialists. Um, I think what this means for us as socialists is that one of the most important tasks we have in the United States, and I, I actually think this is, uh, I'd like to hear what people think about it vis-a-vis -vis the UK and the way the UK understands the colonial, um, you know, the, the issue of colonialism and racism. In, um, uh, in Brexit. So um, I've been reading a lot of historians, of U.S. historians who are, who are looking at the formation of the U.S. working class. And one person whose work I especially appreciate is Dave Rodiger. And Rodiger argues that Marxists have in the United States, and I think internationally, have separated the process of class formation from racism, that is the ideology of white supremacy. And he says that omitting racism's break on working class struggle under capitalism ends up missing the importance of both race and class. And I think that Rodiger is exactly right. Um, and um, that what we're seeing now in the, um, in the protests is extraordinarily exciting and important because it represents the opportunity for socialists, for revolutionaries to intervene in the working class, in the white working class, and to say that this is a struggle we must support. We absolutely must support this struggle and we cannot support it simply through words. We have to support it through mobilizations. Perhaps some people have seen the video clip of video clips of transit workers in cities refusing to transport the protesters who have been arrested. I don't know if people have seen that. That's, that's the kind of solidarity that we have not seen. We saw it in, in Occupy. We saw some of it in Occupy. But, but, you know, the, the Transport Workers Union, if we also look at the Transport work and Workers Union, um, it's a union that is on the left of the labor movement, certainly far to the left of the building trades. But I think that these protests offer us an opportunity to create a cleavage um, in the unions, 
and a cleavage that opens the space for um, multiracial struggle of the sort that we haven't seen since the communists organized in the CIO. So that's how I'm looking at these protests. Now, of course, I would be remiss and, over, and romanticizing it if I didn't talk about the horrible militarization of the police that has occurred since the Obama administration. I mean, the savagery of the repression of these demonstrations is horrifying and really remarkable. And, um, and this, is, this is really, I think, these demonstrations and these protests in this context raise the slogan of race war or class war. That's what this is about now, race war and class war. And how are we going to intervene to pull the working class, the white working class, to class war? Now, of course, Bernie Sanders has done some of this work for us through his campaign. And that's a good, those, a lot of those people are in the streets now. A lot of those people are, those young people are in the streets, and I'm hopeful about that. Okay, um, I said I was going to uh, take 20 minutes, so I want to answer just two last questions, just two last things. Um, one is about the U.S. election, who to support. Um, I think the vice president is meaningless. Um, it's clear to me from the way that the squad, you know, the Democrats further down on the line, the way that they've collapsed into Biden's campaign, you know, AOC is on a task force. They're, they've been defanged. They've been defanged. That's the history of the Democratic Party, right? So um, I think the way, and I've learned this from some young people that I'm in touch with on Twitter. Um, one of them, who I'm crazy about, he's an activist from the Chicago Teachers Union, he posted something on Facebook and he said, I'm not voting for Biden and I'm also not arguing about it on social media. And that's exactly how I feel. That is an argument that is a debate. We are not going to win. That debate is a diversion. The question is, how are we going to build an electoral alternative so that in four years we are not in the same spot? That, to me, is the question. What are we going to do so that we are not in the same spot in four years? So a question that I will have, a debate that I will have with people is, is it meaningful to organize support for progressive Democrats further down on the ticket? What, or the Jacobin is calling for a dirty break. Andrew Sertniger has a uh, has a piece in New Politics Online about how we might understand that dirty break from the Democrats. That's what I, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to think about. Um, because Biden stands for the same policies that brought us here. He stands for exactly those same policies that brought us here. He has no ideas. 
He has no vision. He's already contacted all the architects of the economic reforms that that Obama put in office after after he was elected, demoralizing an entire generation, right? So that's a dead end. And I, I think that the argument that some people, that Kathy Pollock made, for instance, about Biden, um, it's very revealing. So Kathy Pollock said she would vote for Biden even if he boiled babies and ate them. That's what Kathy Pollock wrote. What does that mean? What does that, really, what's the meaning of that position? That's the position, the meaning of that position is that we have no program for struggle. We have no program for struggle. None. Our program is electing Biden, and my program is not electing Biden. Because I know that Biden is not going to come up, Biden is not going to do anything different from Obama. And Obama's reforms are not going to solve the economic crisis that we have now in the United States. The last thing that I want to say in my 30 seconds left is that, you know, one of the things that's remarkable is the difference in the way the ruling class in the EU, the way the ruling class all over the world treated this pandemic, right? And the U.S. ruling class is willing to tolerate Conditions that spark revolutions elsewhere in the world. That's what's so incredible. You know, the unemployment figures in this country are, it's probably far higher than the 30% that they're reporting because a lot of people don't even qualify for unemployment. We probably have an unemployment rate of 40%, and that is going to continue And the Republican Party, which is propping up Trump, will not budge on that. They're unwilling to budge. So um, that's what I want to say. Oh, you know what? Let me just grab two more minutes. Um, You know, with very few exceptions, the unions, organized labor in this country has not stepped up and these protests. It remains to be seen if they will. The transit workers is an exception, but it remains to be seen what's going to happen with the other unions. And I have to say, I am not optimistic about that.